The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back once again to Brutal Nation. The podcast series is dedicated to lesser known serial killers and acts of true crime. Woo! <laughs> I'm your host, the illustrious Scott Alexander, and right across from me is the one, the only, the only Sasquatch that is physically in captivity, Tammy Underwood. Say hi, Tam. Hi, everybody. How did you find me, anyways? I'm usually very elusive. There she was up at oh, Mount Oh, I know Hood. it was. You said, I tell dad jokes. <laughs> and then I shot her with a tranquilizer dart. The Smithsonian was pretty close to her, but I got her first. The knockout dart. Name knockout darts right there. Yeah. Um. So today is a part two. I know of Norris and Bittaker. Remember how they were like brutal and, with yeah, their murders. You know, and, and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about how brutal their murders are and shit like that. And I'm like, God damn, I, just, I don't like these guys, but it's like a fucking train wreck. Yeah, because they, they didn't go in order of the teenage years like That's they wanted. That's what pisses me off the most, like seriously. I know. They're, because I, that was I'm, like, you couldn't get over that fact. People think I'm kidding, but I do. I have horrible, horrible OCD. You do. And fucking knowing that these two assholes started out of order. That's just, that bothers me. I know. You're like, bitch. <laughs> oh, yeah. Motherfucker. They yeah. should get the death penalty just for that alone. Right. Well, I agree with you. But I got my mouse to work, my real mouse to work now, so I'm good to go. Awesome sauce. Continue on, because I have to grab a pack of cigarettes. Okay. That's right. I smoke. Don't need you guys' bullshit. Fuck off. Right. So, anyway, just a recap is these two guys had kind of a um, very colorful past with their in and out of jail and everything. And Bitteker was actually only in for, like, no violent crimes, no person-to-person crimes. They were all, like, thefts and shit. Right, I remember and, that. That's when they, he met yeah. uh, Norris. Norris, they, they start, met at the California Men's Colony. They started talking. Had a little yeah, candle and discussing dinner. their... Pro, I mean, their proclivity to violent sex, which doesn't always have to go wrong. I'm just saying, Scott, you know about that. Yes, I do. But you got to pay extra for that in certain places. Like yeah, like Thailand. Thailand. <laughs> yeah. That costs you a in little bit In the Philippines. Extra. In the Philippines, yeah, in definitely. Bangkok. They don't, <laughs> I'm afraid of Bangkok. You want to know why? There's a reason why they don't call it Bangkunt. <laughs> One night in Bangkok. It's, it's funny when Michael, Mike Tyson sings that song. Um. But anyways, so now they're arrested, right? And remember, Norris kind of like confessed everything. It was like, uh-huh. yeah, bitch, please. Um, <laughs> so in November, I'm we're going to start the investigation now. Actually, I don't even think, I'm sorry, I had to sit up. I don't even think, uh, wait a minute, where was I? Oh, you know, they found a, remember he had also recorded uh-huh. The torture and everything. Right, because I thought that they, you meant like a camcorder or no, something. No, 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 it, it was audio. Well, it was in 70s, too. Did they have camcorders back then? Those were those big, like, TV things that they had all on them. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't they even I was only have. four. <laughs> we didn't have a video camera until I was, like, in my teens. I want a Betamax. Dude, I miss the Betamax. They were so much better than VHS. I, I had to go out to Bend. And driving back, I saw you that blockbuster again. That. Yeah, the one, the only one that's still. And open. I started looking at it going memories. <laughs> I know, right? And remember, um, it wasn't blockbuster; it was Hollywood Video that had the um, the video game section too. Remember, right, right, right. Yeah, but yeah. 
So in November of 1979, Norris hooked up with an old friend of his. Um, this was a guy by the name of Joseph Jackson and Joe Jack. They had all, they had both been locked up together in the California men's colony as well. Um, so according to reports, Norris told Joseph that he and Bideker had been doing what they had been doing for the last five months. What a fucking idiot. Yeah. He even gave graphic details about Shirley's murder, which is the last one, the one that he like. Built in, you know, beat in the elbow and everything. Is that better? It should be. Keep going. Okay. So, um, and up until this point, her body is the only body that had been found. Because they left it on the lawn on Halloween night, remember? Right. Yeah. So, Norris told Joseph, and I actually found this case because we were looking at Halloween murders. (laughs) (laughs) But Norris and Joseph, uh, Norris told Joseph about how they not only committed the five murders, However, there were also three other occasions where he and Bideker had actually abducted or attempted to abduct young women. Two of these women managed to escape, and in the third incident, the two of them raped her, but then they chose to release her. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. So after Norris told Joseph everything, Joseph called his attorney. You think? Yeah. And he consulted with his attorney about what to do about the information. And the attorney said, you need to go to the authorities. Which is smart. And exactly. let me tell you why. Number one, obviously, Joseph is an ex-con. Correct. He's out. He's probably on parole or probation Probably or very like much that. so. And now you're becoming associated with somebody who, number one, you did time with. And you have information regarding and what they've done. And you have information. Yeah. So you think that the DA is going to sit there and go, it's okay, go on. You. No, they're going to be like, fuck you. You're going down too, right. motherfucker. Well, and think about it. A lot of, I mean, true convicts will not snitch because snitches wind up in ditches. But this one here, I'm mean, congrats to this well, dude. Well, yeah, and I think a lot of it is is because of the torture and the rape involved because yeah. that's not looked upon highly. That's that's a bucket of fuck. Yeah, up. that is a bucket of shit ton of shit. So, um the attorney, oh, I already said. So Joseph agreed to do that. The two of them actually called the LAPD and the LAPD advised them to contact Hermosa Beach police because that's where most of the crimes happen. Right. So at Hermosa Beach, Detective Paul Bynum was assigned to cover the investigation. I thought you could say Paul Bunyan. No. Um, after hearing that Joseph had to say, he noticed that the story actually matched some reports regarding missing teenagers from the area. Ooh. So, But that wasn't the only thing that matched up. There was one incident that Joseph had information on that couldn't be gleaned from following missing persons reports. That was when Norris and Bideker maced a woman dragged her into the van and raped her. The one, <gasps> oop, spilling my wine over here. <laughs> but um, the incident that, and her name was um, Robin Robeck. So on September 30th, before she was set free uh, by two Caucasian men in their mid-30s, up until Joseph came to the authorities with the information Norris had given them, they hadn't been able to identify who the perpetrators were. They had no clue. Oh, they do except now. Except for the van. <laughs> Because they only knew about the Chomo van. The thing is, though, every fucking buddy has a Chimo van yeah. that they abduct people in. Yeah. And I've said a million times, you can you can have a murder happen in broad daylight in oh, the yeah. middle of my street right now. Oh, yeah. No totally. cars around. And 
half of the people would say, oh, I saw it. It was a panel van with no windows yeah. on it. Well, and that's funny because my son was in um, upper elementary and uh, junior high when he started talking. He goes, yeah, those white panel vans, you got to watch out for them. I'm like, dude, how do you know about this shit already? <laughs> but, yeah, it's just like people know. People know. Um, so let's see here. Um Okay, at that point, Detective Bynum actually said, because she had moved back to Oregon. Okay. Okay, so he sent an investigator to Oregon to visit Robin, and upon arrival, he uh, put a phone light up in front of her, and Robin didn't even hesitate to point out the two mugshots that matched. It wasn't exactly like Bideker and Norris were trying to hide their looks. I mean, come on. You know what you haven't told me? They raped these girls while wearing ski masks. Right. Anything like that. No, they got their faces out there and yeah. they're just, they're being assholes. However, there's a, there's a catch here in a minute. Almost as soon as Robin was able to make a positive ID, the Hermosa PD put a surveillance team in place to track Norris. It was only a matter of days before they caught him in the act of selling marijuana. So, not and he's on marijuana's. parole, so... Well, he's on parole, and that's back in the 70s, still not legal, I know, bud. so when it was a felony. Yeah, depending on how much. But um, No, it, didn't come, it wasn't an ounce or better until like the 90s. Oh, that's true, that's true. Yeah, huh? Any amount of the marijuana is the devil's cabbage. <laughs> the but, wacky tabacky. The wacky tabacky. <laughs> right? Because you, if you're a reefer head, you're going to murder your family. Right? So Norris was arrested. On November 20th, 1979, for a parole violation. Uh, the police also arrested Bittaker the same day at his motel room in Burbank. Because remember, he had a house and a motel. And a motel room. They, yeah. they arrested him just for shits and giggles, probably. They're like, fuck it, pick him well, up. Well, they arrested him both for Robin's rape. Ah. So after the arrest, the authorities brought Robin in so that she could do an actual lineup as opposed to the photo lineup. But she wasn't able to positively make that identification in person. And... I'm thinking it's because of trauma. You know what I mean? And people's looks yeah. change, Well, man. and not just that. It's like, yeah, you can pick out their pictures, but they're not standing there and you're not thinking, oh my God, they can see me and identify me and I'm screwed if they get out. And people's, okay, you've seen me without a beard, without True. my good tea. I, I, I have, Uncle and, Fester. And you see me now. I have. Night and fucking day different. Totally different. So actually. who's to say Yeah, because people... your face looks thinner. Yeah. Even when you had a full beard, it looked kind of chunky. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so... Uh, people's looks change, and maybe they had grown mustaches and goatees, or mutton chops, or right, had or a pompadour, anything. or yeah. whatever the fuck they had, you know. And now, if they had a really cool ass mullet, Dude, they should you be got, released. You can pick that out in a heartbeat. No, they should be released. Mullets are awesome. <laughs> Gives you a pass. Right? You get a pass. You Just can like do whatever a the hell no you want. shirt. Humping a tree in Florida. And fighting a tree in Florida. Yeah. You know. I was listening to that today, and you were like, it says, and he punched the officer, and that's like, we're right here. No, no. <laughs> exactly. You know, look, dude, you can you can beat the shit out of a tree. You can even hump a tree as long as you yeah. don't have a shirt on. See yeah. right here, it says punch a cop. That's no, no. Oh, no. which it's reminds me, no, no. I have to make a correction. I did say jazz in that episode, and it's actually Miami Heat. My bad. Like a dog in heat? No, Miami Heat. Miami Heat and Utah Jazz are the only... Uh, basketball teams that don't have an S at the end. Just saying. Uh, well, okay. I don't Good care. little factual. Dude, you're going to be on Jeopardy someday, and you need to know this shit. No, I'm not, because I hate sports. But if you want to be on Jeopardy, you have to know everything. Except for midget tossing, which we should bring back as an Olympic sport at this time, because then I can actually be an athlete. I will throw a midget. Like, I, will, I would train. 
night and day. See, and that's I'm the opposite. Somebody told me once if there was an Olympic event for my specialty, I'd have a gold every time. But I can't talk about that. <laughs> I even know where I would get my midgets. Where, Scott? There's this farm out in Hillsboro that's on a TV Dude, show. You ain't lying. You're not. Oh, my God. I love them. <laughs> Just saying. I don't like the husband. They've got a divorce, but yeah. I've there's, seen them before. There's a whole They're lot of cool. little people out there. Yeah. Man, I'm just thinking maybe I could toss them. Dude, maybe. there's like a family of one, two, three, four of them. Because they, they have one normal size son. I can put them all on a rack and label them. And then the answer can go, Scott's choosing the number three midget right now. The yeah. youngest one, yeah, lighter. Yeah, no, we like that. He looks like he's a little bit lighter. He's dressed up in a Superman costume with a helmet and goggles. He's going to be tossing him through the flaming circle of death. Um, with the catapult that he this just is, built. This is a very difficult to- uh, toss there, Bob. Let's see if he can do it. And he's winding up for the toss. And he's going. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, he's on fire. Oh, he got put out. Okay, so he doesn't lose points for that. And it's a good throw. Yeah, right through the center. Right through the center. <laughs> so and the judges stupid. are giving him a 9.5, a 9.5, a 10, and a 10. That's amazing. <laughs> and then you'll be up there singing the national anthem and all that That's shit. Right. Right? I like to thank Jesus for this gold medal and midget tossing. Right. Get them bite it to make sure, you know, like they do. It's oh, hell so yeah. funny. All the, yeah, I've seen it in the Olympics, the gold medal. Right on the... <laughs> you ain't trying to cheat me on the gold, are you, Yeah, motherfucker? right, right. <laughs> So, um, where was I? However, the authorities didn't let that stop them from keeping the two men behind bars. They were there for basically a parole violation since Norris was seen selling marijuana and Bittaker had drugs in his possession. They could hold him on the, right. the PV. Right, right. So when a team went in and searched Bittaker's apartment, they found numerous Polaroids of women. These two women were later identified as Andrea and Jackie, both of whom had been reported missing. That's the murdered girls. Nope. I thought there was... An oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. right. I forgot about Andrea. I was going to say Jackie was, but Andrea okay. was number two. Yeah, You're right. Um, th- okay. That was my bad. Sorry. Because yeah, she was 18. That right. was where they skipped. They went 16, 18. Right. And then they fucking went 15, assholes. 13, and then back to 16. Bitterker and Norris, by the way, I do actually fucking hate your guts because you went out of order. Right. No like, doubt, seriously. yeah. No doubt, yo. So um, the search um, of the van revealed a prosecutorial gold mine. They found a sledgehammer, a bag full of lead weights. Remember, both of those were used. A detailed book on how to locate police radio frequencies. uh, A jar of Vaseline. Two necklaces that were later identified as items belonging to two victims and an audio tape recording of a woman in clear distress. And she was screaming and pleading for mercy with sounds of her being tortured and sexually assaulted. That's the Shirley one, but they haven't yeah. identified her yet. Right, right. Yeah. Right. That's pretty much do them in right there. Yeah. Cause Shirley's mother later identified the voice as that of her only daughter. Uh, see, I feel bad for her. Cause she yeah, she had to, to listen. listen to it. But Damn, it was up. also determined that the two males' voices in the recording were both Norse and Bitteker. So the search of his hotel room revealed seven different bottles that contain a variety of acidic liquids. And check this out. Investigators actually found out later that Bitteker had fully intended to use those on his next victim. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, his... his um, violence escalated like tremendously. Uh, it fucking sounds like it. Yeah, because remember he went from this to this. You know, it was just horrible. Um, 
The search of Norris's apartment also turned up a bracelet that had been taken as a trophy from Shirley's body. And in both Norris and Bideker's homes, authorities were able to find approximately 500 Polaroid photos that depicted various young women and teenage girls. These photos had apparently been taken uh, at both Hermosa and Redondo Beach. And there were others taken specifically at Burbank High School. The majority of the photos were taken without the girls consenting or knowing about them. So it's like they were like totally. Time the fuck out. Yeah. Number one, those didn't have zooms on them. And how can you not know when you're. I know, dude. That's a very distinctive sound. Very distinctive For those of you who are too young to know what the fuck a Polaroid is. Like seriously. See if you can look up the sound clip of one of those motherfuckers. It's very distinctive. You're gonna yeah. know. You're I mean, even know. the new Polaroids don't make that sound. But yeah, that is a very distinct. Yeah, they have newer ones. Yeah, get the fuck out. Yeah, they came out with newer <laughs> models. I want to get one so bad. But even but remember back in the day, like the 35 millimeters and shit had those big old flash bars on the top. Oh yeah, that were only good for like 10 pictures, and then they had to change it out. Yeah, and yeah. that made a distinctive sound too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I find it hard to believe that the, that these girls didn't know about that. Yeah. You could hear those old Polaroids from like two miles away. I know, Somebody's right? taking a Polaroid right fucking now. Right? So on November 30th, 1979, Norse had a preliminary hearing for the September 30th attack on Robin. However, since it had been 10 days since his arrest, he was visibly, visibly shaken. Um, oh, showing signs of being in distress. I mean, like, he's in jail, parole violation, he's facing rape, and all this shit. <laughs> he yeah. should feel that way, because yeah. he is. Yeah, so it's during the shit, hearing, man. Detective Bynum and Deputy DA Stephen Kay read him his Miranda rights. And he waved them. He was like, no, I, I'll talk to you. <laughs> um, and the two of them started questioning him about Robin's rape. Um, then the questioning turned to the information Joseph had given them, as well as all the information. I'm sorry, evidence that they got from the houses in the van. So in the beginning, Norris flat out denied any sort of involvement when it came to the murders, rapes, and disappearances, which you expect that. I do, but that's fucking stupid. They're, they're, okay, so the cops are coming to you, and they're all, dude, in your house, we found about 500 pictures of these chicks, some of them, which are missing. Hmm, kind of weird, because a lot of them you know, that you've taken a picture of are missing girls. Uh, well, yeah, a couple of and them, but not some, all of the 500. And we, I know. I yeah. Know. And then we got the raping going on, and we found all this stuff inside of your van, you know? True. You would True. think you'd be like, dude, you, you got me. Don't, let's, let's yeah. get the ball rolling, because denying yeah. it's stupid. Yeah. Just totally stupid. Um, however, um, then Detective Bynum and DDAK presented him with all the evidence, and that's when he began to sing like a canary. He's like, you know what? Make no mistake, though. As we've seen so many times, his confession painted Bitteker as the major culprit. Oh, so he was denying it before they said, hey, we got all the evidence. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm on track. I yeah, thought it exactly. Was, he I was thought like, they'd already given it to no, him. No, they... Wasn't me. I know. Me too. But no, they were. he was like, they were questioning him, and he's like, nope, didn't do it. And then they're like, well, we have this. And he's like, okay, you're right, I did. But he did more of it. I was just there. Um, <laughs> according to Norris's confession, he and Bitteker habitually drove around areas like the Pacific Coast Highway, PCH, to randomly approach attractive girls and offer them a ride, posing for pictures or to sell them marijuana. 
Okay. He admitted, and you got to remember that's the seventies. People like did weird shit, like post for random pictures and shit, you know, me and, uh, I've done it actually recently when you go to like, uh, we did it at, um, universal studios back in the day. I was dating this girl named autumn. Of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The and mullets. We, we used to go mullet hunting. I love mullet hunting. And you got to be careful, man, because a mullet will bite you. They're, they're vicious motherfuckers. Yeah, they're very um, protective of their hair. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. you got to kind of come at them kind of sideways a little bit with a little bit of, you know, when, if you want to get an up-close picture. Yeah. But, yeah, it's dangerous, man. But people will. You know, we'd be talking about their trucks or it could be anything like, hey, you guys oh, yeah, totally. a cute couple. You know, and they have matching mullets. That's, a, oh, my God. That's that's a trophy picture right there. Oh, totally. Totally. Love mullets. Do you still have them? I wish. Oh. I'd have them framed up, too. Dude, I would totally love to see it because I saw that little, um, when Jake was younger, your yeah. son was younger, and you had, you looked totally different. It's like I wouldn't have recognized you. I had hair, man. Yeah, you had more than that. It's like you were, I don't know, like presentable. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, people. <laughs> Um, we can't take him in public anymore. Not without so, a leash. Yeah. Um, he admitted that most of the time, the majority of the women rejected whatever they were offering to get them to enter the van. However, creepy, man. Yeah. However, with the exception of Lucinda, the first victim who was taken by fours, four of the girls accepted. They're like, okay. And suddenly all four of them were murdered. Uh, Norris went on to explain that each of the girls upon entering the van van had been overpowered somehow then they each had their hands and feet bound and their mouths were taped before being driven to a secluded location the locations were all deep inside the san gabriel mountains so deep (laughs) i I was pointing at you for a reason (laughs) um once the men had the women in the secluded location of choice they were all violently often repeatedly raped before they were murdered because you know, remember the first one, uh, Norris raped her first, then bit her, and then Norris came back and did it again, and then you right. know, it's like ugh, sick men. Um, so each murder that um, was usually carried out when either Bittaker or Norris strangled them with a wire coat hanger. However, two of the women were stabbed in their ears with an ice pick before they were strangled to death. Uh, Norris went on to admit that he had hit Jacqueline. Jack in her head with a sledgehammer as Bittaker set about strangling her to death. Then he talked about how he had repeatedly struck Shirley's elbow with a sledgehammer before he strangled her himself. That one there just makes me fucking cringe. Yeah. So Norris told the detective and DDA uh, that he and Bittaker were planning on using the acid on the next victim and that he and Bittaker could abduct. He also claimed that any act of torture or humiliation committed against the women was strictly done, quote, for fun. Well, at least he's being fucking honest about that shit. Yeah. That's sick, but yeah, I well, appreciate the honesty. You're going to hear something later. That is, that just, the, is that the set of glasses that your lens popped out? Who what? The glasses you're wearing. Is that the one that your lens popped out in? Yeah. It looks like it's popping out again. No, just saying. Well, no, it kind of, that side is a little thicker. Oh, okay. But yeah. Just seeing which No, I got it in there good for now. Um, what, oh, according to this confession of Norris's, Bittaker, Bittaker's brutality towards each of the vis- victims escalated every time. And we talked about that. Yeah, that's, but that's like, typical in serial killers. Is yeah, that, but it's like, because, but then their spree happened like rapid succession. They didn't really have a whole lot of cooling off. Right. They're, they're but, developing their skill. Right. They're perfecting their yeah. skill. This is true. 
This is true. And, and you got to think about, okay, it's going to sound sick, but think about sex in general. You hook up with a new partner, right? Right. It's, it's never mind-blowing sex or rarely mind-blowing sex right off the get-go. True. The best sex is after about the 10th time when you kind of figure out. Right. Exactly. I mean, the first time is good and everything. You're like, oh, okay, I like this. But yeah. Yeah. But after like the 10th time, you kind of know what each other really likes this a is lot. True. This is true. And you're comfortable with each other and kind of trust right. each other more. And yeah. it's the same thing with them. They're, they're, they're figuring out their groove. They're figuring right. out what they like a lot, what they don't like so much. Yeah. Apparently, one of them loves to, well, you'll hear it here in a second. Um, he said Bitteker's ultimate brutality occurred when he made Shirley beg for them to stop torturing her. Then he provided the detective and DDA with some cooperating evidence in order to support the confession he was giving them. Damn. Um, he told them that Lucinda was picked up after she left a mean being held at the Presbyterian Church, which only her abductors would know, um, how she had lost one of her shoes when he dragged her inside the van. And Norris knew that Shirley was a Hispanic of Hispanic descent and that Bitteker had actually been unsuccessful prior to October of that year in 1979 in his efforts to get her to go on a date with him. Holy smokes. Yeah. So it's like he approached her, wanted to date her. She kept saying no. So he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to take you anyways. So on February 7th. What a nice guy. I know, right? L.A. County Sheriff Peter Pitches, P-I-T-C-H-E-S-S. Pitches. I'm glad that you clarified that because I thought you, I, at first I thought you said his name was Peter Bitches. No, and Peter I'm, Pitches. I was, that, that is a Pitches, badass fucking name right there, man. Right? So he released a statement to the press concerning the investigation. In the statement, he described the acts each victim were subjected to as sadistic and barbaric abuse. He I didn't go into agree. detail, but that's what he said. I would agree with him. It is. Oh, very totally. sadistic and very barbaric. Yeah. He even added that the authorities were seeking five charges of first-degree murder against both men. And he even assured the public that the department had already been able to locate 60 of the 500 women. And they were not harmed at all. Well, that's good. Some of them yeah. are safe. So... Then he went on to state that sadly, 19 of the women shown in the Polaroids were listed as missing, and it was possible that they had been murdered by this pair. Although he followed that statement up by saying there was no evidence to conclude that they were victims of Bitteker and Norse. Possibility versus probability. True. And the probability of them being dead is probably high. Yeah. So, as it stands, at least one of the pictures discovered was very disturbing. It clearly depicts a yet-to-be-identified younger white woman alone with Norris and Bitteker. The photos were eerily similar to those taken of Jackie, Jacqueline, and Andrea. And this discovery could indicate there was at least one more victim, a victim that Norris nor Bitteker have ever claimed responsibility for. I don't think they would claim responsibility for everything. Oh, we don't one think so either. I don't think so either. They got to keep some of it to themselves, right? Right. I think that's part of the. I think that's part of the the um, the sexual gratification for them. Yeah, yeah. Is the getting away with it? True. So you give them most, but you keep some back. So that way they yeah. get something in your spank bank. So you can exactly. So you can like keep it to yourself, and it's your dirty little secret. Uh huh. Yeah. I think that's part of it. I think that's yeah. part of the 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 whole psychosis going on with both of these idiots. True. 
You're starting the middle of a goddamn process. <laughs> fucking morons. Fucking the reason why you got caught is you started at 16, bitch. <laughs> fucking exactly right, right there. <laughs> they did everything right. They fucking researched. Right, right. They perfected. They had their groove going on. They started True. in the middle of a process, and they just jumped around. That's bullshit. I know, right? Don't bullshit. do that. Don't plan it and then fuck up. Still, That's been bugging me since last week. I know it has. You still bring it up like every day. Yeah, so it bugs me. After the confession, Norris agreed to actually go out to the San Gabriel Mountains with the authorities. He was doing this in an effort to locate all the bodies. Um, in each case, Norris was able to lead the detectives to the exact area where he and Bideker chose to dump them. However, despite the exhaustive searches authorities conducted in the vicinity of where Lucinda and Andrea were discarded, their remains have never been found to this day. That kind of shocks me because even with scavengers, because up in the San Gabriels, um, I don't know how it's developed to this day, but right. when I was a teenager. Well, which would have been around this time. Um, that's the 70s. I was born in 73. Right. But in the eight, this is 80s. So you would have. Oh, sorry. You'd been seven. My bad. Yeah. So I don't know fucking, how to count. Um, even with the scavengers, because up there, you know, when I when I was a teenager, there's like coyotes and there's, you know, there's like bears. Oh, totally. And, you know, and raccoons and all kinds of scavengers. Oh, totally. You would still think that they would find some of the bones. True. You know? True. This is true. Clothing, bone, something. True. And then on February 9th, 1980, the authorities found the skeletal remains of Jackie and Jacqueline. And they were found along a dried out riverbed at the very bottom of the canyon. Are they the same person? No, Jackie and Jacqueline were the 15 and 13 year old. Oh, gotcha. Okay. They were friends hitchhiking on PCH. That's right. Okay. I'm, I'm caught up now. Yeah. Pieces of the remains had been scattered over several hundred feet in diameter. That's fucking scavengers. And Jackie's remains still had the ice pick lodged deep in her skull. And Jacqueline's skull had multiple indentations. And this corroborated Norris's statement regarding hitting her multiple times with a sledgehammer. Jesus fucking Christ, man. (laughs) A few days later... Uh, both Norris and Bittaker received the formal charges of first-degree murder. Uh, when they were arraigned, Bittaker was denied bail, but Norris had his bail set at $10,000. Only $10,000? Okay, that not, was in the 80s. That's not even very much for the 80s. That's true. In less than a month, Norris signed a plea bargain. Part of the bargain stated that if he agreed to testify against Bittaker, the prosecution wouldn't be seeking the death penalty. Um. There's a little bit more to it in a little bit. But on November 18, 1980, Norris's plea of guilty was en- entered on, and the formal sentencing would be held on May 7th. He pled guilty to four counts of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree murder with Andrea, because he wasn't there, remember, when he killed right, Andrea. Right. He had gone to get some liquor. Um, two counts of rape and one count of robbery. Yeah. In addition to these guilty pleas, Norris agreed to testify at the trial. In exchange, the prosecution agreed not to seek the death penalty or life sentence without the possibility of parole. They were offering him parole. Um, Norris's probation officer testified at his sentencing on May 7th. According to the officer, Norris told him during the review that Bittaker was the only one to torture their victims. He admitted to hitting the girl in the head. <laughs> um, Norris's main vot- motivation, however, was the feelings of power and dominance he received in the situation. The sexual intercourse was secondary. 
Which I can okay. see. Yeah, no, I can see that, yeah. Yeah. However, the parole officer also stated that Norris never exhibited any remorse or compassion about his brutal acts, and the defendant appears compulsive in his need to inflict pain and torture upon women. I would tend to agree yeah. just by what you've given me, yeah. That in sounds, conclusion, sounds right. he said, and I'm quoting these, can reali- Norris can realistically be regarded as an extreme sociopath whose depraved pattern of behavior is beyond rehabilitation. I agree. Yeah, which is screwed up that they offered him parole. But in the end, the presiding judge sentenced Norris to 45 years to life. With the possibility of parole, he could be released as early as t- 2010. Um, we're in twenty fucking twenty one. Yeah, just we're, give me a minute. I'm now. I'm curious of what happened to this cunt. Yeah, I, um, on April twenty fourth, nineteen eighty, Bitteker was arraigned again. This time, he was charged with possession of a firearm and various other charges relating to criminal conspiracy. When was that? Um, April twenty fourth, nineteen eighty. It was after because um, Norris entered his guilty plea on March eighteenth. So it was like a month after he okay, was arraigned I'm again. Just, it, okay, it's just jumping all around, and I'm no. in my head. Yeah, it's so I we were forward like, further. I thought that we were mid-80s. and No, we're just 80-80 oh. in 1980 itself. Oh, okay. The year my brother was born. Right, I'm going to put um, my parachute pants on now. This is a little, well, and this is a month before Mount St. Helens erupted. Uh, <laughs> this time, um, oh, I said that already. In addition, he was charged with a combined total of 29 charges for kidnapping, rape, sodomy, and murder. Jesus Christ. There were also two charges of conspiracy to commit murder, which were dated from December 1979. Um, These conspiracy charges, um, I said he faced these conspiracy charges because, well, quite frankly, in my humble opinion, the man is an idiot. Well, yeah, you think? Yeah. Within a month of being arrested, he made a valiant yet unsuccessful attempt to convince two of his fellow inmates who were scheduled to be released to kill Robin Robeck so she couldn't testify. Jesus fucking yeah. Christ, man. He didn't want her to testify at trial. Little did he know the prosecutor ended up dropping those charges eventually. They dropped due to, because there was lack of physical evidence and Robin couldn't identify them in a the physical lineup. It makes sense, So yeah. it's like, okay... It's like, you're facing these charges. I'm going to try to get somebody to kill you, but then the DA drops them. I mean, it's like totally pointless. But yeah, now you're charged (laughs) with conspiracy, dumbass. So at the hearing, the presiding judge, William Hollingsworth, asked Bitteker how he wished to plead. He actually sat at the defense table, complete silence, refused to speak. Um, Therefore, in response, the judge took it upon his legal right to enter a plea of not guilty. He should have said guilty, right? Yeah, he should have said, yeah. okay, you're guilty as a motherfucker. But it's like, legality says he has to, you know. We're going to we're gonna kill you right here in the courtroom. Yeah, dude, we're going to shoot you. Yeah, we're dude. not in Texas, but we'll get you. Exactly. So, <laughs> Bittacle's formal trial began at the L.A. County Courthouse in Torrance on January 18, 1981 now. The presiding judge over the actual trial was another judge called Judge Thomas Fredericks. Um, the prosecution star witness was Norris. And his testimony began on January 22nd, well, right before my birthday. He testified that he had become acquainted with Bitteker while they were incarcerated. And that was when they uh, cooked up their plans together. I wrote they cooked together their plans. 
um, for to abduct, rape, and murder teenage girls. Oh, I thought they were, you were going to say they made a nice little quiche, maybe no. some asparagus. And, Dude, you know, some ramen nachos. I missed oh, that. So I need to make gross. some. I can't get chili ramen anywhere. You were so disgusting. Dude, Jesus it's delicious. Uh, with a little powdered cheese. Yeah. Ew. During the testimony, Norris stated that in June of 79, he alone tried to abduct and rape a woman. But she escaped, and Bitteker's response to this event was that they both act together in the future when they abducted victims. That makes sense. Two's better yeah. than one. I mean, team up True. on the And you, you failed, bitch. Yeah, you fucked um, up, The man. next part of uh, Norris's testimony involved the chronological recantation of the details involving, involving five murders he committed, and they were as follows. In September 30th, 1979, they raped Robin. Okay. On that same day, they attempted to uh, kidnap another woman named Jan Malin, M-A-L-I-N. And then September 27th, oh, I don't know why I went backwards. Uh, they attempted to kidnap another woman yet to be identified. Okay? When Norris testified about the murders, he actually went into detail. For Lucinda, Norris tried to strangle her himself. However, when he was unsuccessful, remember he tried to strangle her, saw her look in her oh, eyes and puked? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bedeker took over and strangled her using the wire coat hanger. Um, Norris claims that when she was dead, he and Bedeker threw her body down into the canyon in the vicinity of the San Dimas Canyon. San Dimas. I don't even know where that's at. Is it like a you've nice area? Seen, you've never seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Oh, yeah, 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 Adventure? yeah. You're right now. I've... And actually, where they go, let's go to Waterloo. It's actually Raging raging Waters. It's a big water park. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And San Dimas. When they took, yeah, they took Napoleon and... And Freud so and... Yeah, and Socrates. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Andrea Bitteker told Norris to drive out to the mount, out, of, out of the mountains to a nearby liquor store. And while he was away, Bitteker supposedly murdered her. And when Norris returned, Bitteker was standing around smiling as he held the Polaroids he'd taken of her after telling her that he intended to murder her. Remember, because he said, give right. me reasons. Right, right. Um, for Jackie and Jacqueline, Norris talked about how he and Bitteker had held the two girls captive for over a day. Um, before they killed them, and he told the court how Bitteker had murdered Jackie prior to killing Jacqueline, and Norris recounted how he had bludgeoned Jacqueline with a sledgehammer while Bitteker strangled her. Surely, according to the testimony, Bitteker had insisted that Norris murder the girl himself. Norris claims he was told by Bitteker that, quote, I should kill her because I hadn't killed anyone yet. I, w I knew this was coming, so I agreed. Which happens in pairs, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly, One of them yeah. always has to, if they haven't been killing, they have to do it so they have equal culpability. Yeah. Yeah. So Norris then talked about how he had strangled her by using a coat hanger that, and that he used the pliers to tighten it around her neck. And he said he did it in the same way Bitteker had done with Lucinda and Jacqueline. Well, at least, you know, it was almost like watching a, a pre-YouTube video. Right. You know, oh, okay, that's how you do it. Okay, yeah. step one. <laughs> Dude, I had to do that to install this windshield wipers on my best friend's car and then when i was doing the driver's side i kept getting it mixed up because i was looking at it backwards and it's like i couldn't get it to go it was like an hour and a half worth of bullshit so finally norris talked about how the two of them had driven out to the sunland area where he threw shirley's lifeless body on someone's lawn as bitteker remained in the van um following his testimony the prosecutor called several witnesses that testified that Bitteker had shown them Polaroids and the same Polaroids he kept as trophies. Um, Christina Drow 
D-R-A-L-L-E, was a 17-year-old witness that gave pretty damning testimony. She talked about how Bittiger had shown her a Polaroid of, uh, of Jackie before he stated, the girls I get won't talk anymore. Jesus Christ, yeah. man. <laughs> she also told about a time Bittaker played her an audio tape in which she could clearly hear two girls screaming while he was heard laughing. Um, that was probably Jackie and Jacqueline. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Lloyd Douglas, one of Bittaker's former cellmates, was called to give damning testimony as well. He claimed that after being arrested in November, Bittaker told him vivid details about the torture he had put Jackie and Shirley through. And he said Bittaker told him that he had used an ice pick to stab Jackie's breast, which, you know, was true. And then Bittaker told him how he had twisted the ice pick while it was still in the wound. And he relayed about how Bittaker had told him he had pinched Jackie's legs and breasts with a vice grip pliers before he ripped off part of her nipple. Next, he claimed that Bittaker told him about using the same pliers as he pulled on quote unquote pulled on the breasts and genitals of Shirley and about how he had tried to beat her breasts in an effort to beat them quote back into her chest. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Sick fucker. So the defense on the other hand held fast to their claim that Norris and Norris alone committed all the crimes. Of course. Yeah. Well, because that's kind of their job. Yeah. Their job is to defend. However, Uh, I think that defense attorneys should actually be able to without getting disbarred be legit and go, hey, this motherfucker did oh, it yeah. right here. Yeah. Uh, you know this. I know this. Let's kill him Well, right and that's the sad part about defense attorneys is they have to go into it whether they know their client is guilty or not and defend them anyways. Yes. It's de- I mean, I don't know if I could ever be a defense attorney. I couldn't. Yeah. I you couldn't. Know? I would look at him and be like, bitch, I will execute you well, here it, myself. It depends. If it was like a drug charge oh, or something, yeah. I'd be like... <laughs> Yeah, that's going to come up on Friday, but yeah. My client's never done drugs in his entire life. Look at him. He's a perfect little angel there. Dude, hide some of that shit from me if I get you off of this. Yeah, dude. Uh, You're you're going to totally give me some. He he goes to church and loves his mama. He's got five kids working. You guys are just trying to attack him because you guys are mean. You know, but if it was a guy like this here, I'd be walking in going, look, this motherfucker is a murderer. You know it. I know it. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, if we can convict him right now, we can hit lunch in 15 minutes. Right. Totally. Two minutes. Two minutes in there. Guilty. (laughs) Hey, if they hit two minutes, I want whoever that jury that does it in two minutes or or under 4.5. Even just the foreman. Yeah. Dude, totally. I want them to be able to come back and say, you see, we do did it, Brutal Nation. We, we did. did it. We did yep. that time. I'm, yeah. If you ever get summoned to a uh, major crime like this, just call us up or email us, and we will have you on the show. No kidding, man. We'll get you a plaque if you can yeah, get that Dude, we'll fly out. you out here and treat you like a star. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bittaker said he wasn't even aware of Norris's activities until right before the police arrested him. That's when he claims Norris let him know that he had murdered several girls and the same girls that Bittaker and Norris had encountered together when they engaged in consensual sexual activities. Oh, my God. Look, yeah. okay. Oh, okay, wait. Okay. Bittaker, look, if you're going to bullshit, I totally respect that you're bullshitting, okay? Because it just happens. Yeah. But make it kind of believable. How about that? Could you shoot? As a matter of fact, this goes for all of our future serial killers that we obviously can't stop because we're not cops. If you're going to bullshit, make it somewhat fucking believable. True. Because that's a horseshit story that he just now said, oh, I never did anything. It was all consensual bullshit. Yeah. Fucking oh, wait. It shit. gets worse. In an effort to support their case, the defense called Richard Shoopman 
S H O O P M A N. Shoop. 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 No, it's like shoop. 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 Salt and pepper. I love that. Okay. Dude, it's a rap. It's a female rap group. I have salt and pepper in my kitchen. No, salt and pepper. Yeah, I got salt and pepper in my kitchen. Okay, there was no R at the end of that. Shut up, Scott. Okay, homie. <laughs> a friend of Norris. This is a friend of Norris's to the stand. Richard testified that Norris had told, um, had divulged his desire to rape young girls. And Richard also talked about how Norris discussed the mere fear and shock that came across the faces of the girls he attacked as being the real sexual turn on for him. I, I Yeah, I see I, that too. Yeah, that's... Uh, the- what they were talking about the whole time. That's yeah. a big thing, yeah. So the defense tried to further state their case by claiming the Polaroids that were taken of Andrea's face, how he knew something horrible had happened to the girl when he saw the pictures, and according to him, when Bittaker saw the photos, he recalled something Norris had shared with him at the men's colony in 77. Apparently, that's when Norris told him about what it really took to stimulate him sexually. And according to the reports I read, the most damning evidence that the prosecution presented was a 17-minute section of the audio tape recorded during the abuse and torture of Shirley. Now, that's a long-ass time. No shit. I mean, I I watched this documentary where um, they were saying something about within five minutes, the girl, you know, she was suffering, fighting for life for five minutes. Right. And so the... The DA actually said, let's see how long that is, and made them sit in silence for five minutes. He said it was the most longest time he'd ever had. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this tape was discovered during the search of the van, and according to Norris, Bittaker played that audio recording on repeat in the weeks leading to their arrest. According to Norris, Bittaker found the audio to be, quote, real funny. Yeah. Jeez. Okay, I've got a pretty fucked up sense of humor. Yeah, I no. I find nothing funny about that. No, me neither. Not a I mean, there's a thing. difference between BDSM and straight up torture. Well, yeah, because, you know, I. Yeah, BDSM, there's a safe word. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Mine's, totally. Banana, mine's banana rama fofana. Dude, that's kind of a lot to say. Especially with a ball gag's in my mouth. It's amazing. It's just. It can't ever Have you learned how to sign it? <laughs> no, it always comes out. Oh! You're so stupid. I'd love to see that, though. No, I, I, no, no I would love to see you with a gag, period. Um, oh, you're fucked up. What the fuck's wrong yeah. with you? So on January 29th, DDA Stephen K. played that audio tape for the jury. Prior to pushing the play button, he warned the listeners, for those of you who do not know what the, what hell is like, you'll find out. Then, despite the defense's objections, he plus, he pressed play. On the day this tape was played, there were more than 100 people present in the courtroom. By the time it was over, the majority of the jury, as well as some audience members, were openly weeping. There were also other members of the gallery that reacted in other ways, such as burying their heads in their hands, wiping tears from their eyes, and some of them straight up ran out of the room before the tape was finished. I think I would end up running out of the room. Me too. I think I would have too. Because I I would be crying because I'm I'm not about real torture. Right. And Bitteker had a different response. He didn't seem at all disturbed by what was being played. On the contrary, he seemed to be rather pleased since he was seen smiling the entire time. Well, yeah, because he enjoyed that. Well, during the entirety of Bitteker's trial, Stephen Kay was visibly reduced to tears twice. 
once after this tape was played and the judge called a recess, I'm good. He walked out the doors of the courtroom and he didn't even try to hide his tears as he addressed the reporters. He told those around everybody who has heard that tape has had it affect their lives. I just picture those girls, how alone they were when they died. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I could handle it. After making that statement, one reporter said it was obvious that those who had heard the tape were sure to suffer from some level of emotional and psychological trauma. And he then asked DDA K if the tape should have been entered into evidence in the first place. And DD and K looked at him and said, "You're darn right; it should have been. The jury needs to know what these guys did." Exactly. Yeah. I, I agree. Maybe I dismiss I- the audience, you know, because they can do that. But yeah, I don't think they need to play that much of the tape. Like, seriously, I would think within the first couple of minutes, yeah, kind of figure out what the fuck's going on with it. Yeah, true. So then Bitteker, like an idiot, took the stand to give his own testimony on February 5th. While he was on the stand, he spun some tall tales. He claimed that he was nowhere near the scene of Lucinda's kidnapping or murder. He said that he wasn't even aware Norris had committed this crime. He admitted to being with Andrea. As a matter of fact, he said he paid her to pose for the pictures that were found. He, and she agreed to pose for the pictures considering she had just agreed to have sex with him for $200. He said he'd give her more to pose. Remember what I've said before? What's the best thing to say at your own trial? Nothing. Not a fucking thing. Yeah, that's, that's why the attorneys thing will strongly say. suggest unless you have a very compelling story when you're talking that can't be like, the DA can't be like, you know, twist around. They say, don't even get up there and talk. I've learned two things from my attorneys. Shut the fuck up. Number one <laughs> is when, if you think for a minute, hey, I'm going to go to the cops myself mm-hmm. right now without an attorney, and I'll straighten this up. No, you're not. You're going to do 20 to life. That's what the hell you're going to do. Yeah. And number two is you don't fucking say anything. Like, even... If you're sitting there, and I do this in contracts, too, when I get asked a direct question, if it's a larger contract, mm-hmm. I look at my attorney, and they'll either go, yeah, answer that motherfucker, or we'll be, hold on a second to me, like, okay, look, this is the deal, this is actually what they're saying. Let them, deter- that's their fucking job. Yeah, totally. totally. That's their job, well, man. And not just that is... Um when you get involved in that, then you can kind of damage it. And the other attorneys or whatever are going to be like, oh, well, then let's change it to what he's saying because it's totally, you know, more in our favor. Oh, hell yeah. You know? And you told me before you look at contracts and go, um, no, I'm going to go to sleep. You read it. Yeah. That, that's yeah. why I pay people to read that shit. Yeah. I can't, I can't read a contract either. Yeah. Because that's what they fucking do. Yeah. That's why nobody reads the iTunes agreements. (laughs) Attorneys understand legalese. True. Whether it's on a capital case for murder or it's a contract case to do music. True. They understand what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You want to know why I don't read through it? I don't understand it. I don't understand shit. I've got a huge vocabulary. I've got this great education. I don't understand it. Right. Well, So for Friday's episode, the one that's personal, 100... Um, I actually went through the court documents and shit and like, oh my God, this is like make it's so confusing. I would shit my pants. I had to piece it together, but yeah. By page two, you'd hear, <laughs> and that's me. I just, what happened? I just shit myself. I'm, I'm done. Dude, I cannot follow along any longer. <laughs> so, um, Bideker said that him and Andrea had consexual sex that he paid for and afterward Norris walked away from the motel with her. He then claimed that Norris and Andrea uh, walked toward the San Gabriel Mountains and Norris came back alone. 
Um, Bitteker stated Norse told him that he had left Andrea quite a ways into the mountains before he left and told her, find your own way home. None of that makes any goddamn sense. Not a damn thing makes sense. Okay, I I look at things that, okay, that might have kind of made sense a little bit. You know, that makes not one fucking iota of sense. Yeah. He claimed almost the same situation occurred with Jackie and Jacqueline. According to his testimony, he offered to pay Jackie for sex and to pose for some pictures, and she agreed. After they had consensual sex, stress that, she posed for the photos, and he last saw both girls when they left the room alone with Norris, and he saw them drive off in the van. Why wouldn't he take in the van with Andrew? I don't get it. All he just this- walked into the mountains. Like, like, like watching, remember Kung Fu? Oh, yeah, 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 where he's walking across the desert? Yeah, you know, <laughs> at, at, every, at the end of every episode. If you don't, okay, if you're too fucking young to know what to tell Kung Fu is, just look Dude, that shit up. look it up. It's an awesome TV show. It was, I'm Kane. I'm here to help you. Yeah. You know, and at the end of every one, what did Kwai Jen King, Kane always do? You, you'd be walking off into the sunset. Yeah, kind of like Shane. Yeah, <laughs> and it's awesome. It's so sad how he died, but yeah. But yeah, the, I just fucking, God, Bittaker. Yeah. Dude, he's so stupid. I'm hoping he's still alive and that you can actually oh. hear this because, dude, you are a bucket of fucking stupid. Yeah, he's a dick cheese for sure. <laughs> Jesus but Christ. I don't, I don't think I've seen this much stupid mm-hmm. since the Beavis and Butthead of, of serial killing. And honestly, I think that they, I think that Lucas and Tool might be Better. even a little smarter than yeah. you are. And I they didn't keep audio it. tapes of the torture and Polaroids and say, oh, they did it. They did it because they wanted to. I just, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Dude. Wait, wait till you hear this next sentence. I mean, this next paragraph. When it came to Shirley, Bittaker had a different story. He said that they picked her up after her Halloween party. And since it was Halloween, they asked her if she would be willing to the- the- theatrically scream pretending as if she were being violently tortured, and she agreed. He claimed that she was never tortured in his presence, and that's not saying she did, wasn't tortured later. After all, Bitteker saw her drive off alone with Norris. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but yeah, but she screamed in that tape because she wanted to. Oh, yeah. my God. Dude. Oh, yep. You know what? You know what? Yeah. Lucas and Tool, I know you're both dead, but I'm so sorry. You are not the dumbest killers ever. Yeah. No, not anymore. No, Bittaker takes the cake on that one. Yeah, so his trial lasted for three whole weeks before the counsel for the defense as well as the prosecution began to deliver their closing arguments on February 9th, 1981. DDAK apologized to the jury. He told them he was sorry that he was only seeking the death penalty. He added that he truly wished the law allowed him to request they impose a sentence that would equal the suffering that Bittaker influenced on his victims. After all, wouldn't it be nice if they could make sure that Bittaker endured the same punishment he inflicted on all of them? I have been saying that forever. For, since we started this. Yeah. No, even before this, I've always said, let the punishment fit the crime. I think that a rapist should have to be raped. Oh, totally. To be violently fucking raped. Yeah, so they know what their victim went through. I think that a child molester should be violently child molested and raped. Some of them actually are later, but and not that legally. Makes me smile. I know. You know, I I don't believe that they have to house them in separate units in a lot of. I states. believe that chimos should be fucking executed in public. Oh, I. You know what? I agree. I I firmly believe they should expand the death penalty to include child molesters. Yeah, and we should do it in public. And, mm. and here's my reason why. And I may have said this before, I may not have. 
You have, but go ahead. Let's say, and, and actually Craig and I had this conversation because I took him to Ben with me because uh, he had to pick up a truck. Um, you know, let's say that you're a child molester, right? And you're right, looking right. At, I'm looking at, okay, let's just say, even say me. I'm a child molester. And look at the little girl next door. Mm, I want to get right, some right. of her. That looks really good. But then on TV, I just saw two chimos get hung right. in the middle of the town square and die. Yeah, you don't want to be put on display like that. Maybe I'm going to sit there and you know what? If yeah. I get caught, this isn't 10 years well, in prison, 15 yeah. years in prison. I'm going to get hung. Right. And, I'm going to die. And the sad part is, is a lot of child molesters are very well known in the community for doing good. Yeah. You because know? that's how they blend. Yeah. It's, it's camouflage. It's, yeah, chameleons. that's exactly how they groom. But um, Cave then went on to describe Bitteker as a sorry, quote, excuse for a man. And then as he held each of the five victims' photos up for the jury to see in his effort to seek the death penalty... Kay called Bitteker's case, quote, one of the most shocking, brutal cases in the history of American crime. And if the death penalty is not appropriate in this case, then when will it ever be? I agree. Thank you, DDAK. Right. I, I'm really, I hope that some of these people that we talk about actually listen to this. DDAK, I agree with you 100%. Oh, yeah, you, me sir, too. You, sir, are a real fucking man. Like, yeah. Seriously. You got Cat, my heart, buddy. You know, here's your Bud Light. <laughs> kidding me? I'd give him one of my good. I, That's true. You dude, would. I'll tell you what, DDAK, you get a hold of me. I have an awesome wine collection. I will send you a bottle of my yeah. fucking wine. And, or a bottle of his nice liquor. Yeah, or a bottle of liquor. You pick it. Yeah. Anything you want, buddy. Yeah. So the other deputy DA, actually, his name was C. Randolph Ramsey, and he addressed Bitteker's statements regarding Shirley agreeing to scream, cry, and plead for mercy as part of a Halloween gag. He addressed it by simply telling the jury, you've heard the sounds on this tape. Miss Ledford screaming and yelling, quote, don't touch me. No, 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 no. That tape should be sufficient cooperation by itself. He wanted to let them know that the tape backed Norris's testimony. Okay. Then, hang on, got to scroll down. Bitteker's attorney, Albert Garber, uh, Garber, not Gerber, gave his closing argument. He asked the jury to discount Norris's testimony completely. He, uh, again, argued Bitteker's statements about Norris and Norris alone com committing the murders. And he said that the case presented by the prosecutors was akin to, quote, bloodlust because they themselves recited, quote, gory details of the crimes to the jury multiple times. That the prosecution was right. Okay, I, I understand. Okay, that. I just want to make that clear. That's that. That's the best his uh, defense attorney had, huh? That's, <laughs> oh that's, no, there's a little bit more. So okay. yeah, Garber recalled for the jury the testimony of Michael Maloney. He was a psychologist that told the court that Bitteker didn't have the ability to empathize with others. He said that Bitteker was unable to relate to people when it came to normal feelings and emotions. And he reminded the jury that prior to these charges, and with the exception of the 1974 stabbing and that robbery, Bitteker's criminal record consists of nonviolent offenses, which is true. And he claimed yeah. that there was not enough evidence to co corroborate convicting Bitteker of the charges he was facing, that it was all Norse. After receiving their instructions, the jury broke for deliberation on Valentine's Day, and they actually deliberated for three whole days. Um, Why? I don't know. On February 17th, uh, the jury of 12 filed back into the jury box, sat down, and the four-person waited for the judge to tell him to read their findings. With the go-ahead to proceed, he stood up and addressed the court on the five counts of first-degree murder. 
guilty on the one charge of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, guilty. Five charges of kidnapping, guilty. Nine charges of rape, guilty. On the two charges of forcible oral copulation, guilty. On the one charge of sodomy, guilty. And on the three charges of unlawful possession of a firearm, guilty. Everything. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Good. Thank you, jury. Don't yeah. sit there and pussyfoot around with this bullshit. Yeah. After declaring Bitteker guilty on all the charges, Judge Frederick set the sentencing phase to start two days later. After hearing the mitigating evidence, the jury only deliberated for 90 minutes. <laughs> this time before returning with their decision, the jury unanimously chose for Bitteker to receive the death penalty for the first degree murder charges. And as the jury delivered their verdict, Bitteker stood completely emotionless and Frederick set Bitteker's formal sentencing for March 24th. Um, that's when the court reconvened and the judge ruled in accordance with the February 19th verdict of the jury. And he finally formally sentenced Bitteker to death. However, he took it one step further. On the off chance that this sentence should ever be commuted to a life sentence, he imposed an alternative. The alternative sentence he imposed was for 199 years and four months, which would take immediate effect should the death sentence be reverted. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough, yeah. Yeah. So as we know from past cases, Bitteker's sentence and conviction was immediately appealed. Um. The first appeal cited procedural errors as the basis for overturning the sentence, and those uh, errors included the warrants that authorities used to search his van and motel room were not valid, the judge's dismissal of a woman hired by the defense during the jury selection who was meant to advise the defense counsel about the jury's view regarding the death penalty. You know, those um, they call them, I can't remember what they're called, but they're they actually, consultants. yeah, like, like Bull on that TV show. Ultimately, it didn't matter what the appeal cited as procedural error. The court dismissed the appeal on June 22, 1989. The dismissal stated that any procedural errors that were present during the trial were so minor when held next to the evidence against Bitteker. Therefore, those errors had no effect whatsoever when it came to the overall verdict. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. Bitteker's initial day of execution was slated for December 29, 1989. Bitteker appealed that decision... And since that appeal was still pending, the execution was stayed, and the U.S. Supreme Court decided to uphold his death sentence on June 11th in 1990, so six months later. With that decision handed down, his new execution date was set for July 23rd, 1991, and he again appealed the execution was granted another stay. So after being convicted in 1981, Bitteker granted numerous interviews from his cell on death row. In all the interviews, he did say that he felt remorse. However, before you get empathetic with him... I'm not. He never felt this remorse for his victims. Bitteker's remorse was due to the fact that he and Norris were arrested in the first place because being in prison was, quote, ruining his life. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Bitteker did say he felt that his life was, quote, a wasted one. And despite that, he often commented about how surprised he was about some things. He stated that he was shocked when he thought about how little he and Norris had in common prior to meeting in 77. However, he quickly followed up his shock by saying that they had one hell of a lot in common now. He's a, he's a dick. Despite Bitteker's continual denial at being involved with the murders, he sure did capitalize on the minor fame that goes along with being a serial killer. Because even though they're not as well-known, 
a lot of them still get lots of fan mail. Well, even, Especially from women. Even the one that we're talking about that is in San Quentin, that I'm not going to mention his name right, currently. Not yet. Um, you know, he gets letters and oh, stuff yeah. like that, and people try to interview him. Yeah, and he's denied so many of them, but he's actually agreeing with, you know, to talk to us, which I like. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't like him, what he did, and I don't condone it at all, but the fact that he's willing to talk to us and, mm-hmm. you know. I get what I want. Yeah. I always get what I want. You You do. That's disgusting because I've given it to you so many times. It's it's psychology. It's whatever. All psychology. Yeah, because that one time when I told you I didn't want to do something, and I said whatever. You know, your butthole. It finally healed up. My hands aren't that big. Okay, maybe they are that big. Why? Because I'm your puppet. No, I just didn't use any lube. Remember? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Fisting. No, because I did <laughs> say it I'm doesn't matter how I feel, anyways. And you thought it was like you know me being upset. It's like no, because I always give in to you. You know, I always like, okay, let's do it anyways. Logical, which we got to talk about. uh, We do, we do. uh, So when we wrap this up, i got a few um, things to do. Yeah, he, oh, despite Bideker's continual denial of being involved with the murders, he sure did capitalize, oh, I said that already. He even embraced the Toolbox Killers moniker, which they got afterwards, by signing all of his jailhouse fan mail with the name Pliers Bideker. You see, you see, because he has no fucking remorse. None. That's the thing, man. He's garbage. He is. Absolute totally. fucking garbage. Yeah. So. Stay of execution. Even my with ass. the fan mail. Him in the goddamn courtroom. <laughs> even with this fan mail that came addressed to Bideker, he managed to find time for another hobby. It seems he set the stage for what Charles Ng did while he was incarcerated. Bideker filed in excess of. 40 frivolous lawsuits. When they re- when the reports say the lawsuits were frivolous, that is a complete understatement. In one lawsuit, Bideker claims that he was being, quote, subjected to cruel and unusual punishment. And the example he gave to support the claim was the fact that the prison cafeteria had served him a broken cookie and a smashed sandwich. Okay. I'm not even exaggerating. I got to get his back on that. That's some bullshit when you think, hey, cool, we're going to get a cookie today. And your cookie's all fucked up. Dude. Eat the fucking crumbs. No, no. I want a whole cookie. And Aang didn't want soft Cheetos either, so. You don't want soft Cheetos. No, I dig. Okay. <laughs> soft Cheetos, broken cookies. That's the yeah. bullshit right there. Yeah, and a smash <laughs> sandwich, motherfuckers. Fucking smash sandwich. So in How 90- dare they? Three, Bitteker was declared a vexatious litigant. And for those who don't know what that is, I took the liberty of researching it, and I found some interesting information. A vexation, a vexatious Litigation is the act of filing legal actions for the sole purpose of harassing or subduing an adversary. This can be done by filing a primary lawsuit that is frivolous in nature. However, it is usually when someone repeatedly burdens someone with meritless motions in such matters that would otherwise have a meritous cause of action. Therefore, filing vexatious litigation is a blatant abuse of the whole judicial process and the person filing motions can actually receive sanctions. As the example above, being subjected to cruel and unusual punishment is a meritous cause of action. However, the motion became meritless when Bitteker used a broken cookie and a smashed sandwich to support his claim. Bullshit smashed yeah. ass sandwich and a cookie. That fuckers. Man. It doesn't take one. They did it on purpose. Yeah. He doesn't, it doesn't take one motion, though. No matter how frivolous 
for a person to be declared a vexation litigant. There has to be a regular pattern of unwarranted, frivolous legal motions filed by an individual. If that individual is a single lawyer or law firm, being put on this list could be grounds for disbarment. Therefore, there are some jurisdictions that actually have a tangible list with the names of these vexatious litigants and individuals or entities that have shown a repeated pattern. Um, And since lawyers are subject to disbarment um, in the practice of these litigations, people who are declared vexatious litigants are most likely unable to retain counsel for their claims. And as a result, these individuals or entities often have to represent themselves in court. And we all know what that means. (laughs) If you represent yourself in court, you're an idiot. You have an idiot as a client. Right. So often those who are on this list are forbidden from participating in any more legal actions. However, sometimes they're just required to get prior authorization from a judge um, prior to filing them. And this is exactly what happened to Bideker. When he was declared a vexatious litigant, he was forbidden from filing any more motions unless he had the express written permission of a reputable attorney or from a judge. Okay. So an interesting side note is in Liberty, liberal democratic jurisdictions, such as the U.S., the fact of declaring a person or entity of being a vexatious litigant isn't taken lightly. It is actually considered a last resort measure, and thus it rarely happens. And the reason for this is because most judges and court officials don't take limiting someone's access to the courts lightly. Which I can see. Yeah. But I think America, and I'm sorry, I'm a very patriotic person, is notorious for their frivolous lawsuits. Oh, yes. I, I mean, mean some, I took business law, and it's redonkulous. Some are legit. Like, everybody bitches about the, the, the hot coffee with McDonald's thing, but that's a, that, that was, was actually, actually legit. Legitimate. Yeah. You know, they, they heated their coffee for like 200 and some odd degrees, yeah. whatever the fuck it was. Because it gave off a... Uh, appealing odor uh, aroma yes it and made more people wanting but they proved that they could brew it because i worked at mcdonald's but they could brew it at lesser temperature and still have the same effect yeah and then you know they they gave her a cup without the lid on it and shit like no that. it had the lid but it she did? put it between her legs and the lid kind of popped oh, off and it. spilled everywhere yeah but you know what and, and i'm sorry it's hot coffee should it have been there no it should <laughs> not have been there like seriously yeah. like i'm so not she even was that kind of at fault but the it was ho- so hot that it actually it, it caused like third degree burns, third degree burns mm-hmm. and there was a lot yeah. of surgeries. And she was like a thousand fucking years old. Yeah, she was an older woman. And like that was actually one of the cases we had to cover in business law. It was famous, yeah. Yeah, and we also had to cover one where this guy was a traveling salesman in a motel. And he went to go use the vending machine and his, bar- his th- item got stuck. So he shook the vending machine and it fell over on him. And he blamed the vending machine company. That is frivolous. But he had, was granted a settlement because they said that they should have bolted the thing to the freaking oh wall. Oh, my God. I think one of the dumbest ones I've ever heard, and then we'll continue so I can finish up what I've got to finish up, um, is uh, there was a, a guy who was trying to break into this woman's house. Mm-hmm. And his plan was to get into the skylight. This was in California. Oh, yeah. I've heard, I think I've heard this one, too. He fell through the skylight, cut his leg. While breaking into her house, mm-hmm. sued her. Oh, yeah. And won. Yeah. There was a woman in a furniture store who, there was this kid running around. She tripped, broke her leg. She sued him. It was her kid. Yeah, and that's fucking stupid. Yeah, totally stupid. Okay, so um, as we know from previous cases, on March 13, 2009, Governor Gavin Newsom signed in effect Order N0919. 
And this instituted an immediate moratorium on the death penalty in the state of California. This was carried out by granting all individuals who are slated to be executed a reprieve. It repealed the lethal injection protocol practiced in California, and it even required an immediate closing of San Quentin's execution chamber. Although the order did not call for the release of any inmate from prison, nor did it alter any of their convictions or sentences. They're just pending moratorium. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm pissed off about. Yeah. The executive, the executive order just means that no executions will take place in the California penal system in the foreseeable future. Unfortunately, Bideker's execution fell under this executive order. As a result, on December 13, 2009, while sitting on death row with no execution date set, Lord Sigmund Bideker was found unresponsive in his cell. He was 79 years old, and it seems as if he was afforded a luxury that he did not afford his victims. He was allowed to pass peacefully in his sleep. Fucking piece of garbage. Yeah. Um, now, Norris... After being sentenced, Norris was held at California's Richard J. Donovan Correctional Facility, located in San Diego. And at some point, he was transferred to the California Medical Facility in Vacaville. And Roy Lewis Norris was incarcerated for a little over 40 years for the murders he committed since they met at the California men's colony. It seems that Norris was meant to follow Bitteker. Bitteker was released from that facility on, from the men's colony. Before they committed on October 15th, 1978, three months later, on January 15th, 1979, Norris was released within months of his release. The two men hooked up to unleash the evil. And then you fast forward 40 years. Bitteker died on December 13th, 2009 of natural causes. A little over two months later, on February 24th, 2020, 72 year old Norris died of natural causes. So it's like they were meant to be in death together, too. Since the day he confessed to the murders, Norris maintained the only reason he ever participated in the murders with Bitteker was that he feared the older man. He also stated that on two separate occasions, he thought about going to the authorities to turn himself in. However, oh, wait. Okay. He says that if he made the decision to do that, he would have also told them about Bitteker's involvement. Not only that, he also claimed that there are three women out there that he actively deterred from getting in the van. Um, despite his claims that he never wanted to commit murder, he does readily admit that he'd had active involvement in other aspects. Um, he took full responsibility for getting a tremendous amount of pleasure. However, he claimed that Bitteker and Bitteker alone took pleasure in carrying out the torture and ultimately the murders. Um, he said, I don't enjoy killing. That was Lawrence. It was his favorite part, watching the women struggle to live, knowing he'd soon be taking life away. Um, both investigators who have interviewed Norris and the psychologists who have tested him um, uh, say that he derives certain pleasures and he gets a tremendous amount of gratification from the mere act of dominating his the women. Um these professionals only have to refer to his long history of sexual abuse. Although his first eligibility for parole came in 2009, he refused to attend the hearing. Since he declined to even show up, his eligibility, eligibility. eligibility thank you, I can't talk, for parole was deferred to another, for another 10 years. His next parole hearing was 2019, and although he attended, the board denied his request, and he would never make it to his next parole hearing since he died the following year. 
Now, there's a couple of updates I want to give you on um, the prosecutor, chief investigator, and FBI. Okay. Stephen K., the lead prosecutor in the trial, to this day maintains that if it is the worst case he has ever been assigned to prosecute. Actually, he said to this day he has yet to encounter a murder case, serial or otherwise, that comes close to horrific nature. Um, he maintained the sentiment he held during this closing arguments that nobody in the history of California's death row ha- was or has been more deserving of the death penalty. And he stated in later interviews that for a period of two years after the end of Bitteker's trial, he had recurring nightmares about the case. He said that in his nightmares that he had nearly every night straight for two years, he is rushing to, the, and he's quote, I'm quoting him, rushing to Bitteker's van to prevent him from harming the girls, but always gets there too late. For those who haven't done the math already, there were at least 730 incidents where he awoke in a panic, thinking Bitteker and Norris had harmed someone else. Um, so, I mean, that just alone disgusts me, but this next part is so sad. I can't end this presentation without talking about the chief investigator from Hermosa Beach, Paul Bynum. There's no easy way to talk about this other than to just come out and say it. In December of 1987, six and a half years after Bitteker was given the death penalty, 39-year-old Paul Bynum committed suicide. After the Norris and Bitteker case, he struggled with how to process parts of the investigation. And prior to committing suicide, he left a 10-page note. In it, he lists a lot of things that were troubling him. However, he made a specific reference to being extremely haunted by what Norris and Bitteker did to their victims. And he talked about his true fear that they would be granted parole, that Norris would be granted parole and Bitteker's sentence would be overturned. He couldn't bear to live in a world where they, those two animals might go free. Understandable, yeah. Yeah. And there might be one good thing to come out of this. Well, it's more like something good is being done with the bad. Um, there's nothing anybody can do to bring that the victims. However, there are parts of this case that are still being used by trainers of the FBI Academy. The audio tape that Bitteker and Norris recorded of the torture of Shirley is still in the hands of FBI, and it's not in a box. It's used as a tool to train future agents and desensitize them to an emotionally raw reality. The psychological trauma that they will be dealing with in their role as an FBI agent, the real raw reality of torture and murder. Which I agree, if you're in that level of law enforcement, you need that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, um, you know what? I'm going to skip my uh, final thoughts. I'm, but I'm going to go on record to say that I put these guys right up alongside the likes of Austin Sig and Fred and Rosemary West. I agree. Yeah. Um, and it surprises me that these are the worst cases this DA has ever encountered. Because they saw the likes of Randy Kraft and William Bonham yeah, in L.A. County. Um, O.J. Simpson. It, I'll admit, when I read the reports regarding Paul Bynum committing suicide, I did have an emotional moment. I cried. It hurts my heart to think that he felt he had no other option. Um, however, I might feel the same way if I were involved in the investigation and felt there might be a chance they might walk free. Although I don't know if I would have committed suicide so much as made sure I had two gifts ready to be delivered should my worst nightmare ever come to pass. Let's, you know, I'd borrow somebody's gun. <clears throat> you know. Good to know. You ain't borrowing my guns. No, not yours. <laughs> I have a friend of a friend who a friend who no, doesn't know me. 
So, question. Nature or nurture? Nature. Well, okay. Nature for Bitteker, I agree. Definitely Because his adopted family really supported him until he was 18. I'm trying to think of what Nor- Norris was kind Norris of Norris was though. the one his dad and mom made it clear that they didn't oh, want kids. And they only so, got married because they got pregnant. Even so, though, that's still... Yeah. I'm going to go nature on both of them. I think it's just in their nature to be fucking pieces of garbage. Yeah. So why would someone who had no history of violence, not even towards animals, go from theft to robbery to objection to rape, torture, and murder? It, I mean, that to me... Remember Ng? Cheering section. Oh, I'm yeah, not, that's yeah, true. Ng and Lake? Lake and Ng? Yeah, he had somebody that finally could, like, motivate him and yeah, yeah idolize him. Yeah, that's true. So do you think that Norris was truly bothered by the level of violence that of escalation that Bitteker displayed? Or do you think it was something he that turned him on too? Like I he got I, involved in really I think like they it. were equally turned on by it. I think so too. Because I mean, okay. Let's say that your thing is rape, right? You love to rape. When you get into where you're murdering, that's a whole different psychological path that you're taking right there. You know what I mean? True. That's a that's a different way of processing. True. So yeah. I yeah. They're yeah. both garbage. So, do you believe what he says about deterring three women from getting into the van? No, I don't either. Not even not even for a yeah. second. Yeah. What about when he says that he contemplated going to the authorities? Maybe in passing, like one, you know, like hey, I really should turn myself in, type of a thing. But I don't think he was like committed to that idea. You know what right. I mean? Right. Like, it wasn't a heartfelt idea. Right. Like, I quit my job every day, but then. You kind of do, head, especially when you're having a bad, like, delivery and yeah, you know, traffic. You know, but in my, you know, and that's in my head, but I'm not committed to the idea. Right. True. Um, what about. Oh, wait. Do you think that there are more than the five victims? Yep. Okay. Do you think they ever would have stopped had they not been arrested? No. Maybe after they died. Or if one of them became incapacitated. Right. Okay, now this one kind of goes along with Ng and Lake. Do you think either one would become a murderer on their own, or did they need each other? They need each other. Okay. What we found with a lot of our Tuesday ones is they need each other to commit yeah. those crimes. Yeah, exactly. They don't have the gumption to do it themselves. You know, exactly. like the, yeah. You have to have the yin and the yang. You have to have the balance. You have to have the lake and the ing. Yep, the lake and the <laughs> ing, man. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm done with this one. It was just like, it was like disgusting to me. That is a two-parter of disgusting. I'm glad yeah. both these pieces of garbage are dead. All right, remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out the website at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Click on that Amazon button. They're having some great Black Friday sales. It helps the show out. doesn't cost you a thing extra. True. And Friday, don't forget, we're launching Patreon so you can support the show in other ways. We got a lot of stuff happening Dude, on Friday. Our Patreon Holy levels are going to be like out of this world. We are, yeah, we're going all out. Check us out on Medium and Crime Beat that's on Medium. And uh, run our name through some other publications too because we, we've been picked up by yeah. a lot. Yeah, just search at Brutal Nation and you'll come up with everything. Right, right. All right. This show is copyright 2021 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.